You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 5720 Ridge Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. For the last two weeks, our pastors Johnny and Rod were here to share a talk with us. And I'm back this week to finish up with two more weeks of the season of Epiphany. People have been telling uh, me that the, these cards that you have on your seats have been a good exercise for paying attention and for developing this practice of looking and listening for God. Sometimes we don't even know the significance of what God is doing in us until much later. So when, whether you call it an epiphany or not, it's worth paying attention to what's stirring in you some way that you have been touched or something that's been revealed. The reason we pay attention uh, to the epiphany that you're having is because uh, we don't actually have it all figured out. We're not all developed people. We haven't arrived. We actually need to keep growing and changing. And like I said at the beginning, there are a lot of influences in the world that influence us and shape us if we let them. So when we turn our attention to God, something changes in us. We're actively turning away from other influences to be influenced by the reality of God relating to us. So we get more of what we need to survive, to live, to develop into our truest selves. We get to recognize that we swim in the ocean of God's grace, like the blue whale that Rod was talking about last week. Uh, So I'm going to talk more about that tonight, but first I have a good news story for you. I've been looking for these good news stories about change, and some of you have been looking with me. Thank you. Uh, This one tonight is about how SEPTA police are being influenced by mental health workers. Did you see this? It's good news. It was good news to me. Apparently, there was a mini riot in January at Suburban Station where the SEPTA transit police uh, used batons and pepper spray. On a cold night, Suburban Station can, can see up to 200 folks who, who live on the streets seeking shelter from the elements. And then every night, transit police go through and clear the station around 1230 for security reasons, and then also for cleaning um, the cleaning crew. And this incident in January prompted the need for more collaboration between social services and outreach workers and the police to change how they interact with those who linger in the station at night. Some of you might be familiar with the Hub of Hope, which is run by Project Home, that's now there in Suburban Station. And they are doing the essential work uh, during the day of guiding chronically homeless folks to the assistance that they need. And they have this welcoming, dignifying space in Suburban Station, but it closes at 7 p.m. Now, as a result of what's transpired in January, the outreach workers have shifted their schedules and their rounds to coincide with the SEPTA Transit Police, so they can assist um, later in the evening and help transport, transport people to um, a bed or a cafe or another warm, safe place to be. 
So anytime that police and social services or, or mental health professionals cooperate or working together is good news. So change does happen in our city and our world. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it happens fast enough, but it is happening. And following Jesus is participating in changing the world. It's not just a personal, individualized thing that we're working out with God. It means that we're woven into a life with God in the world that requires our action. So we are working towards change, even as we ourselves are being changed. And we've been looking at stories in the Gospels where there have been some kind of change happening, particularly how an encounter with Jesus prompts a change in direction. So we looked at that moment when Jesus told Simon Peter to go back and try it again, to go back out to fish, and then called him into a whole new life of fishing. And then when Jesus healed the man by sending his demons into a herd of pigs, he was freeing this man and demonstrating freedom from the domination and oppression of the Roman Empire. And then there was the time that the disciples were arguing about their greatness, wanting to be great and wanting to have power, and Jesus directed them to become like a child. There was also the rich young ruler who had lived his life following, <clears throat> excuse me, following the commandments, but he was directed to give up all of his wealth. Not because poverty would save him, but because to follow Jesus, he needed a way to surrender his own righteousness and put God first. So this week, I've been thinking um, about encounters with God that you want to hold on to. Have you ever had an experience like this? Like it was so unusual um, that it surprised you, maybe, but so real that you wanted to hold on to it, you wanted it to last? Or maybe it was an epiphany that was so personal, it was comforting. You felt known and held in a way that you just wanted to, to maintain. Or maybe you received some revelation that freed you up to experience joy or peace or to relate in a new way. And you long to stay there when the anxiety and the fear creep back in. These are moments with God, or even seasons with God, that you want to stay in and, and like hold on to because of their goodness. But of course, day-to-day -day life keeps moving. And the challenges come, and we can't just stay in the moment of comfort or revelation. We're given these amazing experiences with God so that you can go back out and do something with them. Even when we want to stay in that experience and camp out there with God, the movement of the spiritual life and development is to take what we've been given and make something with it, trusting that it's enough and that it's not everything at the same time. To go with God and use what we've been given. Uh, we were just talking about this yesterday at the Old Testament retreat. Uh, there was a group of us that spent six hours in the Old Testament to just barely scratch the surface. How can we possibly know how to make sense of all of it? What do we do with what we do know? How do we apply it and live out the word of God 
and continue the story as it's made through us? Do we have enough to make something with Jesus that's real and alive to this present moment that we're in? Much, as much as it was alive to those who were living the story and then those who wrote it down. Jesus himself knew the scripture and he knew the prophecies and the law and he was making something new with it. And now he's calling us to take what we've been given and make something new with it. It was worth those six hours to expose our questions and get our hearts and our minds thinking with some study. But of course our faith isn't all about like mastery of knowledge. Uh, it's about a living relationship with Jesus. When, when we have these amazing experiences with God, it's tempting to want to stay in them. And sometimes it's even disorienting if we can't get back to something like that. People long for a spiritual high or a mountaintop experience. And we can long to get back to the way things were when we felt God like this. But our human development, much less our spiritual development, necessitates change. If we understand and interpret experiences with God in one particular way, we'll miss what's happening in us in the moment just by longing for what it was like before. So the story I want to talk about today is found in Mark chapter 9, and it takes place in the middle of the whole book that Mark is writing. The beginning chapters, Jesus is introducing, Jesus is introduced through John the Baptist, and a voice from heaven says, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. And Mark gives us stories about healings and teachings that Jesus was doing, and, and people were asking who, who he was. There were a lot of reactions to Jesus and his teachings and healings, and the disciples were even trying to figure it out themselves. They believed Jesus would be this victorious military king and that following him would bring fame and status. And Jesus tells them, actually, it, it, it means suffering and rejection and death. But they don't understand. And then this story about the transfiguration. Jesus takes his three disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on a mountain Mountains and hills are mentioned over 500 times in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, this is where we get this idea of a mountaintop experience, where people have encounters with God. And in this encounter, the disciples see Jesus transfigured to radiate God's glory and light. And then Moses and Elijah appear with him, and God announces, this is my son. The disciples recognize Moses and Elijah. How, I don't even know, because it's not like they would have had pictures of their ancestors or something. But they, they recognize them, and the significance is not lost to them because they know Jewish history. Jesus is showing them his glory, that he is the fulfillment of the law that Moses had received on a mountain in the midst of glory and radiance of God and the fulfillment of the prophets, Elijah, who had also had a direct encounter with God on a mountain. In Mark 2, 9, 2 through 8, it says that after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on the mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, 
whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. He was so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice from the cloud came, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And then suddenly, when they looked around, they were no longer saw anyone except Jesus. And then they came down the mountain. With this story, Mark is, is, is making this claim that Jesus, as God's son, is the physical embodiment of God's own glory. Jesus took the disciples there to reveal himself to them in this wild and amazing experience. And Peter knows that something incredible is happening, and he is so in awe and afraid and flabbergasted that he has this really awkward moment. He doesn't even know what to say or do, and he blurts out, Rabbi or Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Essentially, let's stay. Let's celebrate. He's having this incredible mountaintop experience, and he offers to build three shelters or booths, which ties into the Jewish holiday. He obviously wants to prolong this moment. He wants to stay there, even to camp out. All of them together keep this miraculous moment going right here on the mountain. And that's what caught my attention this time as I read it, that this moment is laden with meaning from the scriptures and Israel's history as well as the future and what Jesus would do to fulfill the law and the prophets. But Peter just wanted to stay right there. He didn't even understand how full it was. He only partly understood what Jesus was telling him and showing him now. This is the same chapter, just a few verses later, is where he's arguing for a place of power and honor, thinking that Jesus is going to be this military um, ruler. And in this dramatic moment of God's power, he just wanted to hold on to this mountaintop experience. I grew up hearing about mountaintop experiences with God. These moments can change us. They're usually a mountaintop experience with God is like a spiritual high or of some sort. It can give us a glimpse of how real and how close and how intimate God is or how powerful and awe-inspiring God is. And then I came to Circle of Hope, and Circle of Hope introduced this idea to me from the Celtic Christians of a thin place as a time where the space between heaven and earth grows thin. These are places where God's presence feels more accessible than elsewhere. I tend to believe that thin places are not bound by physicality. They are any place, I think, where the Spirit of God is at work in a way that that we can sense. To me, it's less about a location and more about a spiritual awareness of God and a movement of God's spirit. But of course, certainly physical spaces can um, tune us into God's presence in dramatic ways. But however you define it, epiphany, mountaintop experience, thin place, an experience of the presence of God is powerful. 
I was talking with Jill Duffy this week, who has been a hospice social worker for over a decade, and I asked her about this experience of thin places. She didn't talk about mountains, but she has certainly experienced thin places with people as she walks with them and their families through the end of life. Now, this is not what most people would think of when you think of a spiritual high, But she describes these moments as being aware that there is more to living, more than living this life. And she talked about this shift in awareness, almost like an aura that's awe-inspiring. There exists a thin line that breaks the barrier of existing in this realm and the next. She even said how common it is for people who are dying to see and speak to others who have died before them. They seem to have this ability to see and engage across a span of time and space that we are bound by. Those experiences are thin places for her, and they've actually changed her. Ask her about her work sometime, she'll tell you that she actually lives differently because of it, because of moments like that. I think this experience that Peter was having, Peter, James, and John were having, is a similar way. It sort of lifts the veil of the reality that they are bound to, to see through time and space. And I imagine that Peter wanting to stay there is a normal response. Something significant is happening. They are near to God. But Jesus keeps them moving. They go back down the mountain, and they take that that shining experience to more ordinary things. In fact, those ordinary things seem to get a little bit harder. They're on the move, and they will end up, not so long from then, in Jerusalem. Jesus is preparing them for this. He's The final exchange in this account, he's talking about Elijah, has already come, and the Son of Man must suffer. And it's this cryptic way of referring to John the Baptist, who already paved the way for Jesus, And now all that's left is this final messianic task that will involve his suffering and his death. Jesus keeps us moving too. We we have to trust that what we've been given is enough to do something. We can't be on retreat our whole lives. We have work to do. We We can't just have mentors pouring into us forever. We have to be the mentor. Everyone else has to go back down the mountain too. We take the experience and the power of memory. Yes, that was good, but what is coming is good too. Nobody lives on the mountain. It's actually too demanding on yourself and on God. But then when it doesn't seem possible, some of anxiety or ambivalence can creep back in. So you might need to be reminded that you've had an experience with God, clarity can seem to fade sometimes. No matter how clear something was to you at one point, it's good to develop a spiritual memory so that we can keep moving with what we've been given and keep looking for what's next. Not just waiting for what happened to happen again. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is believing, and we have to do that every day. So even when you don't see... Jesus is with you, moving us along to participate in the work of God.
I think coming down the mountain and getting back into the everyday work looks a little different for each of us depending on where we are in our lives. I was remembering not so long ago when I was home with young children and Gwen White was telling the story about parenting. Actually, I think I had told her a story about something that was happening in our family. And she was able to reflect on the significance of it. And I remember saying, thinking, when am I going to get that perspective? When am I, I going to see deeply into these moments? I feel like I'm kind of just surviving. I'm just consumed with this ever-present demands of a baby and a toddler. And I wanted to see more deeply. I longed for this consistent view of God, of what God was doing in me and in the world and in the body, and I actually craved it. But I couldn't, I just couldn't see clearly. I needed something bigger and deeper and more real than just me and my perspective. I needed Gwen to help me out. We need each other, I think, to help lift the veil of ordinariness sometimes, to pull it back and to get a glimpse of something deeper. If you are a student and you're doing tasks or projects or assignments that are in front of you all the time, you might feel like you're barely managing your work, much less your own problems or your own needs. Like my friend who told me this week, that she longs to be connected to a mission bigger than herself. I think that just because managing your own needs and, and doing tasks can be so consuming and overwhelming sometimes that it's a relief to have a vision and a mission of something bigger and deeper that God is doing that puts all of what we're doing in the day-to-day -day into perspective. Uh, or may, maybe you're in the second half of your life a number of us attended that retreat uh, two Saturdays ago, and I've been hearing people talk about it ever since. In the second half of life, you might find yourself fighting a temptation to just kind of drop your commitments and find a new start. The day-to-day -day can feel monotonous. The spiritual high is long gone. I think we need each other to help one another along with some consciousness and, and some significance to where we are in the journey. You might not see yourself in those examples. There are many others. Maybe you'll share in a few minutes. But the point here is that we can't just set up camp and stay on the mountain. It, is, it might be normal to want that, but Jesus is moving and calling us to move with him, often into harder places. We've been given amazing experiences with God even if it's just for a moment, a moment of comfort, a moment of revelation. These moments, we're given these moments so that we can do something with them. And it is a moment-to-moment -moment thing, sometimes many, many moments each day. Our trust is sustained and deepened enough to keep going. The movement of the spiritual life and development is to take what we've been given and to make something with it, trusting that it is enough, even though it's not everything. We go with God and use what we've been given, and we, we help each other along in that. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. 
If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.